Good morning. In true Church of Christ fashion, I can step past the first row. I'm talking to you from here, right? Uh, let's pray, and then we'll uh, we'll get into to the material. Father, you just keep blessing us, and you blessed us with your Son, and you blessed us with each other, and you blessed us with people that we haven't yet met that need to hear about you. So thank you for. Uh, for this time, for this institution, this, this university that gives us a chance to gather uh, from so many different places, be in a beautiful place that you've created. Uh, thank you for the hearts of the people who are here. May this be a wonderful blessing to them this next hour. It's your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So, who was here yesterday? I recognize some of your faces, but, but just to give everybody else a chance. Okay, so about half of you were here yesterday. Uh, we talked about yesterday... Uh, Quite a bit of things. We got a chance to give everybody in the room uh, a chance to tell their story of their church. We took a few minutes to do that, and then we um, talked about what that story means, uh, where it comes from, uh, what a narrative fallacy is that sometimes we we gather information and make make something up, kind of a not necessarily intentional fake news, but maybe it's not quite as real as we think it is. And then we took time to to talk just generally about what that means and what that implies for our churches as leaders if we are telling a story that isn't as helpful as it could be. And so today, we want to talk about what it means to adapt to the current environment that we're in and move away from a story that maybe isn't as clear and as positive and as uh, gospel-centered as it could be. So that's where we're heading today. We're going to uh, talk about adaptive challenge, adaptive change, and how that can be uh, implemented through you as leaders, okay? Well, I think we all know the realities of what it means to minister in a time like this and the the, the tsunami changes and the fast pace of change is just absolutely faster than any time in my life that the the changes have happened everywhere. The external environment, um, and in many ways, these changes have happened so fast that they've caught up with us as, as church leaders. They caught up with us, and we are a little bit perplexed. One minister recently told me, and he's been preaching ministry for 30 years, roughly. Almost everything I learned about doing ministry, preaching, and helping the church grow doesn't work in my context anymore. Now, that's not an issue of the gospel, is it? It's not an issue of God or the gospel. It's about our ability to discern and learn and think in new ways and think of how to connect and have to have conversations. Another person named Seth Bouchel, whose father's Dan Bouchel with MRN, says in New York City, planting churches and immigrant populations. I love the way Seth says it. He's a really young guy and very bright. And Seth says, one of the great challenges is if we can't even have a conversation with someone, we can't have a spiritual conversation. And I love that. If we can't even if we can't have a civil conversation with someone, we can't even have a spiritual conversation. That means within the body of Christ with, and outside the body of Christ. And so, uh, the, the really the haunting question comes down to this: uh, Do we have the necessary capacities as leaders to adapt? And thrive in the future. And when I say leaders, I'm not just talking about elders and ministers. I'm talking anybody that leads ministry, that teaches, that takes initiative to bless others with your gifts. 
I'm defining leadership very broadly. We can define it very narrowly, but I'm, I'm just talking about, I just don't want you to think in terms of, okay, I'm thinking about my elders right now when he's saying that. No, th think of yourself. Change begins with you. You can't control anything else except who? You. So that transitions to um, the question, uh, dead or alive? Dead or alive? It's a choice to adapt or not. And so there was a book out several years ago. We, we've given a lot of them away. It's a simple book. It's an easy read. It's a hard, hard to accept the content. And this book is called Autopsy of a Deceased Church. Anybody familiar with this book? So, How about like, six or eight people? Autopsy of a Deceased Church by Tom Rayner out of Nashville. Twelve ways to keep your church alive. And uh, it came out in 2014. And since 2014, he says, he just recently published an article that says, what have we learned since autopsy? It's the best-selling book that Rainer.com has sold ever in its history. Hmm. Autopsy of the Deceased Church. And he's a researcher guy. He was head of Lifeway Books for a while. He's in Nashville. He is kind of a guru in, in church consulting, church growth, um, particularly among Southern Baptists. And a good guy, very practical, very helpful. So he has, here's six things we've learned since we published Autopsy of the Deceased Church and the feedback we got back. Number one, and we'll alternate these, most members of dying churches didn't see it coming. Yeah, uh, what does that say to you? If, if, that's if that's true, what do you think that means? How would you interpret that? It's hard to see trends in fine. They thought everything was fine. Maybe it's hard to see trends. Could be, what else? Yes? We got our head in the sand. Okay. Maybe we weren't, we were choosing not to look, right? Not asking the right questions. Not asking the right questions. How many of you have heard of uh, a, a spouse to say when the divorce papers show up on, I had no idea. Right? It's like, I, I thought we were fine. So that's relationship based, but when it comes to our relationship with those who would come, and you know, churches usually do quite fine if there's a lot of people around and a lot of money frankly. It's when the, when the people start disappearing and the money starts leaving that we start going, oh. And then a lot of times it's off the precipice, right? So they didn't see it coming. Doesn't necessarily mean they weren't paying attention, but something was amiss. If, you get, if leaders get surprised a lot, you're not leading, right? Okay. Second one is many members and leaders who have begun would have. would have begun revitalization if they knew how. What's that key word there? How? What I hear a lot is, and I'm presently working with the church, and the elders themselves are tired, they're exhausted, and they just tell me repeatedly, Grady, I don't think we're the guys. We don't know how. We've tried everything we know to do. It's not us. Nobody else will step up and be the elders, though. They won't, they won't leave. They, they don't want to be in the room. And these guys are worn out, exhausted, and many members and leaders would have begun revitalization if they knew how. So there are some tools, mm -hmm. some understandings, some insights, which leads to the word that we're using, the word adapt. Let's take a little pause on the word adapt. You want to do it now? Yeah, because okay. it fits on the how. Okay. So, so adaptation you know, is the ability to change the way you're doing things. Um, think, when you think of the word adapt, when have you adapted in your lifetime? 
Recall a time when you had to make a shift in the way you did it. Howard, Howard is, is shaking Sally. What, what, what did you have to adapt to? Marriage. Oh, imagine that. Really? You didn't get to just rock along like you were without any kind of shifts? Yes, uh, absolutely. What else? Having kids. Having children is a major adaptation. I mean, if you just kept rocking along like you were before, now that you've got a child, I mean, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to the child? It would basically be ignored, right? And who's going to do that? So you, you shift. I mean, I remember how scared I was when our redheaded little daughter comes home, you know. Her head was over in the car seat. She couldn't even keep her head up. And it was like, she's going to break. You know, I knew she was just, I just knew she was going to break. And my wife somehow naturally knew what to do. And I'm just a gog. I'm like, oh, I'm so afraid. But, but we adapted, right? Anything else? Yes. Um, four years ago, I decided to go into mission work. Huh? I sold my house and my car and sure my did. belongings. And boy, what a feeling of okay, now what? You Here know, I, I go. Was, did it? What did it take <coughs> from it you? Trusted in God. Okay, totally. right. <laughs> so, so you know this this comfort that we seek for ourselves and our congregation, right, is a, a false reality, right? So many churches pivot on comfort for the folks. Keeping them happy. Peace at all costs. Bad orientation. Bad pivot point. It's not gospel living. right? So to adapt is to recognize I need to change the way I'm working. Now, to be really clear, we're not talking about changing our gospel, the core of who we are as Christ followers. That's not what we're talking about. Not the what, but the how. How it's done has to be adapted to what's going on around us, right? I mean, you're not going to do in, in Southern California what you do in Texas, what you do in Florida, what you do in New York. I mean, it's got to be different. It's got to shift, okay? So that's what we mean by adapt. And sometimes it's facing the sacred cows. There's a book out several years ago called Sacred Cows Make Gourmet Burgers. <laughs> and and uh, it's facing the sacred cows, which are it, it could be, a person in the office, it could be a ministry you've held on to that's defined you, it could be, and well, why do we keep doing this? Well, we, we've always had that, we, we can't get rid of that ministry because sister so-and-so, she started that and she loves that, she gives her personal resources to that, who's participating in it? Just her. Oh, and so sometimes it's the sacred cows that involve, always involves people, it's always about emotionality, it's always about the emotion side of things. Third is minor issues kill churches. What, what do you, you hear in that? What would you define as a minor issue? What he just said. Okay. That, yeah. Okay. Give another. Give us another example of a minor issue. People moving. Too many of them. Pe people moving. Keep coming, Howard. <clears throat> moving away 30 miles where they can't come to church on Sunday. Yeah. Is that a minor issue? When you say minor, when you're thinking that, what does that mean to you? That that that's not something to, to make a big deal out of, or? That's something you should make a big deal. We didn't. Okay, so that's a major issue. Okay, so yeah. what's a minor issue? Here's a minor issue kills churches. Order of worship. How's it? How are you going to do worship? Songs you sing. Good. Songs you sing. Songs? Order of worship. Yes. How many songs? What else? Aesthetics of the building. Aesthetics of the building. 
times of service, going from uh, this to small groups, um, always having to have a group that meets at the building because that's what they expect and there's 12 that meet. So you only have so much energy and time and if you're spending all your time fighting over whether you should do communion first or last or walk up to communion or have it served or fill in the blank of the, of the minor things, which I understand they're major to some people, but they're not major to the orientation of what the church's purpose is, then you're, you're, you're spending all of your energy there and you have no, nothing left to do other things with. So that's a part of why minor issues kill churches. All right. One of the things we often ask church leaders with a series of questions rather than telling them, we just say, what is the elephant in the room you refuse to talk about? Write, it, write your answer down. On a piece of paper, we say this to group, and only read what you wrote down. Nobody gets to judge it. Nobody gets to comment on it. We just need to say it and get it on the table. You're talking about interesting. That's interesting. Number four. Hmm. The silent majority killed the church. I know none of you have experienced the silent majority. <laughs> There's a phrase from a, a businessman in Dallas, quite prominent. He says, you get what you put up with. Say that again. You get what you put up with. It's true anywhere. And if, the, if you allow the silent majority to take you where they want to go, then that's where you'll, that's where you're going to go. Right? Anybody got an illustration of that? No, because they're silent. <laughs> I, I have, uh, we have an entrance to our church and we needed, it was not welcoming to visitors. It just seemed like it was just walking into someone's garage. Mm. And a lot of stuff in the way, flowers and stuff. And finally, we were like, we need to move our information well, there was a table that was the original communion table back in the day. Ridiculous chairs that were there. And it was very important to free people, but it was prohibited. We had to make, you know, for the longest time, that was for two years, it was a discussion about what's going to upset somebody, but finally we had to make that decision. I'm sorry, this is welcoming people into the church is far more important than preserving this table. We'll put it somewhere nice and protect it, but we're not going to save it at all costs. So that's a minor issue. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes I think shepherds have, they struggle with the courage to do the right thing because they're only hearing from a very vocal minority and maybe the faithful majority is silent and is not in, encouraging the shepherds and not this is the right thing, we're with you. Yeah. And so that can also... I, th I think that they cling to that scripture where it says, Don't, you know, keep peace and sometimes that's, that's a dangerous thing. Yeah, and, and how is it that the silent majority, I mean, what's going on there? I, th I still don't know what you mean by uh -huh. the silent majority. Because They're not doing I'm, not, I'm not sure where you're going with that. Fair enough. Go ahead. They're not doing much. They're not doing much. One, one time I heard Max Licato say it very well. He said, the Bible says the Lord blesses the Okay. Or peace lovers. You can love peace, not make peace. Yeah. And you said well, let's come back. Silent majority. What do you hear in that? Me? No, I'm sorry. Okay. My apologies. The people that 
see the way things should go, maybe, but don't speak up. Is that is that what you're going? That's to? definitely part of it. Mm-hmm. Are people that are aware? Um, the illustration I used yesterday, working with the church, I did 125 interviews over a couple of months at the church, found out there were three or four people in the church that about half of the people mentioned had caused the last two preachers to leave. So they sit back. They, but the majority of the people knew it. I did it through personal mm-hmm. interviews. And they wouldn't stand up. They, they wouldn't say, it, privately they said this. So I go to the elders and say, they said, what are you learning? What are you learning? We're excited about these. I said, I don't know if you want to hear this because I think two of them are friends of yours. And they went, oh, well, wasn't exactly, oh, it was like a little more defensive than that. So the, the bulk of the people knew it for years and, and wouldn't deal with it. They wouldn't do Matthew 18 with those people. They wouldn't call them to account. They wouldn't, Yeah, And to be know, fair, it's a leadership issue because the leader should be, empowering a silent majority but but a silent a silent majority in the u.s gets to have its say at the at the at the ballot box not a ballot box at church right so they're down underneath and and quiet as this turmoil occurs does that make sense so they they, their silence and their inability to engage what's going on it it it, it, the things fall apart on the edges yes sir i think i think most of us individually don't consider that the things I'm feeling and thinking may be coming from the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and that I ought to listen to it more carefully. Mm-hmm. I assume it's just my little opinion. And sometimes then we find out I was not alone right. in that. But we, we have to articulate that for other people to join with it. That's exactly right. Good. Does that help? Is this helping a little bit? Uh, Did I clarify? One quick one, we'll move on. I I was just thinking maybe would it possibly be a solution if if the church made a point to have more um, meetings that included everybody or more transparency, more communication about that with, with each other. Make a venue where we can have a voice or something. I don't know what I'm trying to say. So, yeah, yes, there are ways where the church can hear itself talk. Yes. There are met- methods by which the church can hear itself talk, in which case people learn things. Like, I had no idea so many people were wanting the, this to happen in our church. So there are ways of doing that, and I think that would be helpful. Yeah. The leaders ultimately are responsible to ensure that the voices are heard. And, and of course, if the leadership isn't listening, then why, are, why would I be talking? And we're, still, right. still, we're certainly not advocating that the church is a democracy. No. It's not a democracy. It's not an American democracy. A godly leader should lead with sensitivities in the way they follow and listening shouldn't be surprised by change. The church is theocracy, governed by who God is and the nature of God is revealed in Jesus Christ. Okay. So we'll move on. Um, some members waited for the silver bullet. Tell me what the silver bullet is. God will cure by. Okay. Over spiritualizing. Yeah. God will provide. He'll just provide. What's another silver bullet? A new worship leader. Oh, if we just had a worship leader. Or if we just had a praise team. Or if we just had a... Better preacher. Or if we just... You know what? If we just had a better preacher. Well, how long were you in decline before you hired this last preacher? Well, we've been in decline a while, but he wasn't quite what we worked, look, was looking for either. It's been two years. We just need a different preacher. What? 
Folks, there's no silver bullet today. It's hard work and it's ministry, and there is no silver bullet. Never really has been. Any other silver bullet illustration? We'll move on. Say it again. Oh yeah, uh, just ignore it. Yeah, it'll be okay. The silver bullet is just ignored. It'll, it'll die down, which is really tantamount to saying what? We just don't want to deal with anything. <laughs> yeah. Any other silver bullet? A new method. A new method. A new program. A new this. If we just oh, uh, here's my favorite one. John knows it's my hot button, so I'll make it brief. You know, I heard this church over here. They did this program. And, 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 and so sometimes I just lose my cool in the name of Jesus, of course. And I look at the elders of the group. I'm saying, I don't care what they're doing. God's called you to this context to discern what's best for you with the gifts and the resources and the talents in this context and answer Jesus' call. John, go ahead. The church does not have to die. And, and this is what Tom Rainer found is, is they don't have to die. Some will. And there's no shame in that necessarily, but churches don't have to go away. They don't have to close. But remember, this is autopsy of a deceased church. This is looking at what happened to them after they're dead. If Tom Rayner is a church growth guy. He's also good at burials, it would seem, based on, based on the title. Okay. Most members of these churches would rather see the church die than change. They got their wish. That's a strong statement. That is a strong, strong statement. So, um, you yep. talk about this one. So, how many of you are familiar with this book? Connecting the Mountains, okay, a few. Probably in ministry. I would, I would highly, highly recommend this for church leaders. This is by Todd Bolsinger. He's from Fuller Theological Seminary. He's the leadership development uh, head there. He wrote this book probably two years ago? Four years. Four years ago, okay. Well, actually, seven. Has it been that long? 12 or 14. Okay. <laughs> So 2012, 2014 is when Some it came place out. that range. Okay. Yeah. So, so here's, here's the metaphor, right? Canoeing the mountains is nonsensical if you understand what canoe is. So he's using the story of Lewis and Clark, right? So President uh, Jefferson bought the Louisiana Purchase for $15 million from France, and he didn't know what he bought. So he had these guys create a core of discovery. That's what it was called. C-O-R-P-S, Corps of Discovery. Lewis and Clark uh, gathered about 25, really they were rivermen, and, and, and Jefferson ordered them to start on the Missouri and go up to the headwaters of the Missouri and explore that and take copious notes. And then on the way down to the Pacific, on the other river that they didn't know was there, they, but thought was there, they would be able to go to the Pacific and, and see everything between, right? So off they went with their 25 folks and all men of course and they they get heading up toward the headwaters of the Missouri with their canoes in tow they weren't using them at that point because it was the rivulet right and they get up to the top of the mountain and there's a mountain range yeah a very you know endless it seemed mountain range right they expected to be able to put their canoes in at some point and glide down to the Pacific what was in front of them was not behind them. Same, same with us, right? So they had to adapt. The canoes did them no good. They had to change from being rivermen to being mountain men. And they had to use the help of the natives in order to make it because if it hadn't been for Sacagawea and the, and the native Indians, they would have died. 
they required the help of those who knew the terrain. Okay, so this canoeing the mountains means basically, all right, we've got to adapt to what's in front of us because what's in front of us is not what's behind us. Is this making sense? So that's what we're going to talk about from here is what does it mean to recognize, first of all, and accept the fact that what's coming isn't what we came through, right? There's a study guide that goes with it so you can lead a leadership group mm -hmm. through it. Um, the one of the reasons I like it is because he does a, a, I would call it beautiful, a wonderful job of blending this, this word missional with our old church growth attitudes and, and understandings, with understanding of emotional systems and family systems. It's got, so whether you're a chemist or whether you're an engineer or whether you're a sociologist, all he's done a beautiful job of synthesizing and blending those in a very readable form. I, uh, we contacted him to do a, a podcast with him, and we haven't been able to work that out yet. Chris Goldman is teaching class here. This is titled his. He's contacted him and is has been teaching a class, and I think it's in the evening whenever Chris teaches. Yeah. So we highly recommend this. Uh, it's got a great study guide with it, and uh, it, it's, it's challenging and helpful. It's not just theoretical. So one of the things that he does is he borrows from Ron Heifetz, who's a Harvard professor, and uh, detailing what kinds of change we're looking at as we go forward. Okay, so that he differentiates technical change from adaptive change, right? So a technical change is a change that you can do almost immediately, right? Uh, we're going to meet at 10.30 instead of 10 because people get up later in this culture and we think that's going to work better. That's, an, that's a technical change, straight up. Uh, we're going to move the, the communion service to a different place. We're, we're going to start small groups. We're going to, you know, anything that you can do externally, right? Within your power. Yeah, that's a technical change. So I'm going to check in. What kinds of technical changes have you seen occur at your church that are on the outside? It's something that you can do. They're not very hard to implement, and they're, they're relatively doable, and it's external. Got an illustration for that, what you've done? Technical changes are important. They are, and they're needed. They're, they're needed. We moved our, our Wednesday night classes during the summer to no longer just Bible classes. It's it, it, the, the whole summer is built on being outside doing missional things, and so it was just a shift from classes. Okay. I and mean, there's some adaptive part of that, but yeah. the idea of the time slot was open. It wasn't just this one hour time. Okay, so you expanded your time right. that you were engaging with your folks. Right. Okay, yeah, that's technical change. Yeah, yes. In the Philippines, the church there, we adapted. We were meeting on Wednesday night, and we had these small numbers, and we got to check in, and, and some of our evangelism team were meet, having Bible studies with some relative good things mm -hmm. on Wednesday night, and so a good portion of them weren't even there. So we changed our Wednesday night to Thursday there night. You go. Yeah. There you go. Both. Great example. Of yeah, yeah that's, that's one. Class before worship. Right, flip-flop, worship before class. That's a technical change and something that's, that's pretty easy to do. So an adaptive change then, if, an uh, if a technical change is external then, an adaptive change is internal. So a mindset shift from, oh, everybody should come to church to get God. A mind, a, 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 an adaptive change would be, we're going to go out and get people <laughs> instead, right? 
that's a that that would be one adaptive change. Uh, maybe the to me the clearest adaptive change that I can talk to you about is you're a Jew. You're in Palestine, you know, you're, you're in Israel and you're rocking along and Jesus shows up and then he dies and he's resurrected. And now all of a sudden you you're hearing that, oh, these all these laws, all these techniques, all these requirements, these 655 laws that you know are coming out of Leviticus are no longer important and I I'm now into a, a mode of God is love and and uh, this this savior is God has come to earth and now all of a sudden the, the shift that the that the apostles made is unbelievable to me it would be like us becoming communists I mean it's like what is that those are adaptive kinds of changes right where you have to you have to actually shift the way you're thinking and your whole way of being and they are hard shifts to make. They're very hard, and they take time. So if you think you can make an adaptive change on it, make that change on a dime, you're you're naive. They take time, and there's two steps forward and one step back. And the church does the same kind of thing. Why don't churches make more adaptive changes? <laughs> Because they're hard, and we don't want to be uncomfortable. Exactly. There's uh, moving small groups, which are basically prayer and internally focused mm -hmm. small groups that are 25 and 30 people to get together for a once-a-month meal. That's really not a small group. That's more like a small church in some places. And trying to move that to discipleship phase where people sign a covenant and, and really commit to being following in the way of Jesus and accountability, confession. You say, well, we're just going to change that. We're just going to do that overnight. And, we're, and you, the group's going to be limited to 12 people, and you're going to recovenant once a year, and it's going to involve this and this, and, it, and the leadership's so excited about this, and nobody signs up, and everybody says, well, I like my small group. I want to stay like we've been. I've known these people for 30 years, and they're, they're my support group. And See, that, that's adaptive. Because the mindset's different about what it means and why we're together, so it's that that's a that's a big. Another example is the Israelites in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. What did they say once they got into the wilderness, and what churches always deal with? We've got to go back. At least we knew how to make bricks. We didn't like it; it's hard labor, but at least we knew how to make bricks. We knew how to live in that area, and we're out here having to fully trust God and adapt. And God took them on a long correspondence lesson, you know. <laughs> in that deal. Uh, what took n normally eight to 10 days to get across took them 40 years. But that wasn't about anything except God teaching them to depend on him and trust. Adaptive changes require that. Yeah, and I like yours that you also talk about is the Jew-Gentile piece, right? When, when uh, Peter has the, the vision and now all of a sudden Gentiles are in the game too. I mean, if you're a Jew, your identity is centered on your Jewishness. You're the chosen race and now all of a sudden everybody else is in too that takes adaptation and Grady will tell the story the Jews in, in, in Jerusalem almost never got it they, 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 they would have just as soon killed Paul as see him yeah it's really interesting the same people in Acts chapter 2 by the time you get to the end that Acts 21 through 23 in that section or further than that even uh, five times in two chapters the people that were, some of them that were at Pentecost, the leaders, tried to stone Paul, kill Paul, and take him out because of the message about the Gentiles. And the Gentile mission basically 
the church became predominant Gentile after the first century. And they, they never did really get it. And there was a small group that continued to meet in Jerusalem that was that sort of kept the old law, plus they inherited about a little bit about Jesus, saw a lot about Jesus, kept the old law, practicing all their just stuff, but they basically got down to a really small group, and we know that from history. So it's kind of interesting on this adaptation. They never, well, the Jerusalem Conference was effective. Oh, not for long. You know, in Acts 15. So there's plenty of biblical and theological moves you could make to illustrate how God's people have always struggled with adaptive change rooted in the gospel. But God's always ahead of us. And God's always pushing his people. He's never letting his people stay comfortable. He's always pushing. The nature of the gospel is risk. The nature of the gospel is risk. The so, nature of the gospel so have you made an adaptive change at your church? I Jim, think, um, Jimmy. So going from a Wednesday night Bible class to serving dinner for homeless individuals. That's huge. Yeah, so, so those folks who were coming for something mm-hmm. are now giving away something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how, how hard was that? Might not have been that hard. Might have been okay. Might have been... Say um, they were ready for it. Okay. So did the change start before you actually pulled the trigger? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's wise. Another one is um, um, proposing mm. that we uh, host small groups on Sunday night rather than having a Sunday night worship. Yeah, that's both technical yeah. and adaptive. Right. You've got you've got a move that you can make like that. And people have to shift their mindset from a, work, a service that they're used to to now having a conversation or doing a Bible study and being in homes versus at church. Yeah, yeah. But that one, we're, we're, just, we're just in the suggestive mode. Mm-hmm. A lot of pushback. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's going to take, take a while. Okay. Somebody else? Lots. Yes. I think this would be adaptive. We went from a um, kind of Halloween, fall festival type thing for our church kids, and over the course of a couple of years, we decided to turn it into a block party for the community. Hmm. We're now 600 members of the community plus <clears throat> come to this free block party. Yeah, an event for okay. us, an event for us to an event for them. Yeah, yeah that takes a bit we're of a... Just manning it and sure, sure. How'd it go? Over the course of a couple of years, we're well over 600. A couple of years. Yeah. yeah. But it was a long... You know, the first year we tried it, it was still adapting because we still had the it's for me mentality. Right. But now we've they've kind of come on board mostly with it's uh, the meaning of the church as a whole has come on board with it's for them. Now yeah. that they see the benefit of it. You know, uh, yeah, I'm coming to church to get my fill versus I'm coming because somebody I need to serve. I mean, that, that's a totally different mentality for the church as a whole. And, and one of the things that we see more often than not is we're so focused on the, on the Sunday hour. It's all about Sunday hour. If, if that's all it is. And now when you begin to say, that's not all it is. It's every day, and it's, it's not just for you. We're actually here for somebody other than you. And so your preferences aren't that important. That's a shift. And, and we have made our own bed in that regard. We have made accommodations to keep everybody happy, and that's a shift for leaders. Okay, now your happiness 
And your comfort is not important. It's not important. It's not the most important thing at all. You know, finding, helping people find God, that's what's important. So, so that's a shift for leadership. That's an adaptive shift. And it is not any fun. Not unlike it would be if you had a two-year-old who you had given everything they ever wanted to and never had any discipline with them at all. Now you've got a terror. Two-year-olds are hard enough. Now you've really got something on your hands because you've created this monster. <clears throat> is this making sense? I mean, the, the church aren't, they're not children. I get that. But we have treated them like children. Mm-hmm. Babies, here, let me, let me change your diaper for you because you can't do it yourself. And I've got to take care of you. Make sure you're happy. It's not helpful. And it's not gospel. We are not called to comfort. We're called to suffering. And of course, we don't look and find, let's see if we can make them suffer on this one. I mean, that's not what we do. But it comes, it comes of its own. All right. Questions about adaptive? Basically, you're talking about really with the idea of culture. Is that, I mean, that's what I'm hearing people talk about. And, and even though looking within is the to looking out and really looking at that, that culture shift. Yes. Yes, and cultures don't turn on a dime. No. Culture shifts take seven to ten years. And to be able to start a culture shift or to start this kind of adaptive change and be able to stay with it over periods of time when you've been a quick fix kind of church, silver bullet, right? So, so that, now we're going to get to slog through this change and watch people leave us a little, for over time until we can get through the hard stuff and shift the culture. Yes, that's a great point. It takes, and it does take seven to ten years to change a culture. And, and, you know, some people are saying when we do vision work with them, we can't look out. Ten years? We don't have ten years. Yeah, that's true. Well, if you don't have ten years, then it's going to be hard because you need ten years in order to change a culture that's been created. So here's the phone call. Brother King, we're a small church in this part of Texas, and we're good people, we're loving people, we're, we're not old hard-minded, closed-minded people, but, you know, we're, we're kind of small, and we're looking for a preacher. We said, they told us you could help us. I said, well, number one, I'm not, we're not the HR company in Hope, Hope Network for the Churches of Christ. Number two, tell me about your church. Well, we, we just feel like we need a preacher. How many preachers have you been through? Well, the current guy's been here the next number of years. And I said, and the one before, well, he was just here a short time. And the one before that, and, he said, and I said, well, tell me about your church. Well, that's not why I'm calling. I'm, I'm calling because we need a preacher. And I said, and you're... And, What's your numbers and what were you 10 years ago? I, I said, you know, I don't know that I can even begin to help you find a preacher. Because I don't know if any of my friends want to come there. Well, Brother Kenny, you just don't really know us. We're really good people. We're loving and we're kind. And I said, can we talk about your church? Took 20 minutes of asking the questions. <laughs> because, you know, you got to look inside at the, at the system and what he says, well, we got some people really chomping at the bits. They just want a preacher. And I said, you got to tolerate some pain by looking at yourself before you know who God might be calling to work with you. And he's not. Really? So how do you propose doing that? And so I, I walked through how we do that over a weekend and doing interviews and talking. And he said, well, I'll talk to the elders. I just don't know if we want to do that or not. We, we just need a preacher. And I said, well... 
God bless you. <laughs> See, it's, it's like there's no connection between, you know, and there's no pain tolerance. And if you don't have pain tolerance and your leaders are constantly anxious to satisfy the, the, the need, the fix, then whoa. Uh, you know, I said, you know, my prediction is, or another way I ask that is, how many funerals are you away from not being a church? Because you have no young people, you're older. Well, that's kind of a strange way to ask that, don't you think, Brother King? I said, no, how many funerals are you away? Oh, we've got money. I said, this is not about money in the bank. This is about energy and life and synergy. Well, we do have a lot of old people. We lost six last year. I said, okay. So how many funerals? How many funerals? So Let's go on. Uh, we've got those, three things, and then we're going to open it up for questions. So, so these are the three things that we would say. There are more than three things, but these are the three things that we think are the most important to be paying attention to, and that is to get some distance. So when you're down in the weeds, you know, you forget that you're trying to drain the swamp when you're fighting the alligators. So get some distance from what's going on in your church and get, up, get above it. Some would say get into the balcony and look over what's going on. What's really happening with your church, with the community? What, what's, what's going on between, within your church? What's going on with your church and outside? You know, getting away from it a little bit also helps you calm down a bit if you're uptight because things are kind of rattled down there, right? You say, I'm not saying leave the church. I'm saying get up above it and understand what are the different things that are happening. You, know, you can see a lot more when you get up above it, right? It's and a reconnaissance. It's a bit of a reconnaissance. And, and, and you know, we, if you use Google Maps at all, you know, when I'm going to a new place, I want to see what's around that church. Well, I can't see what's around that church if I'm down on the, on the street level surface, you know, doing, have you done this? You know, you can see the different houses and stuff, but you get back up on it and you go, oh, they've got a park right over there. Oh, and look, they've got shopping malls here. They're in a neighborhood. They're surrounded by homes or they're on a highway, right? So getting above it and seeing what's happening in your church to understand the young folks, the, the, the older folks, that's what's going to be helpful to you to get some perspective. Now, I, I'll also, if you, I preach for you years, still preach, but uh, one of the things I started doing after about 15 years of preaching, I, I used to sit down with my family, my beautiful, two beautiful kids, I'd sit near the front, you know, be an example, you know, to sit near the front, the closest one to me is three rows behind me, and, and so I'd sit there, you know, and my wife would be on the second row, and, and finally I, I just said, you know what I want to do? I'm going to sit near the back until about two songs before it's time for me to preach. When I first, I did that so I could observe what's going on. Because my wife said, she, when we made the shift, and once our kids were a little older, she started sitting in a different place every month. She, she's an accountant. So she divided it like an Excel sheet, yeah, yeah. the auditorium, the sanctuary, and she had a, in eight, six or eight sections. And every month she'd move to a different section. She introduced me to more new people. She introduced me to people. It was amazing. And so I, I start sitting in the back. And she's the one that convinced me, maybe you ought to sit in the back, because I promise you, when you're preaching and I'm sitting back there, they're not, they're not listening. And it's not because you're boring. I said, thanks, honey, that's sweet. <laughs> um, but she says, they're so distracted. Mm -hmm. They're doing everything under the sun. They're writing notes. They're talking. They're managing their kids. They're doing all kinds of things. You, you sit back there. It's a different church halfway back. Mm -hmm. And I started engaging people back there differently. And once I started sitting back there, things began to shift in my own mind about how to communicate differently. 
and how to engage differently. So that was a, if you're a preacher, and you say, where's the preacher? Where's the preacher? Uh, anyway, we need to go on. Yep. So the second one would be, besides get some distance, you don't have to go to a mountain if you don't have one. If you're in West Texas, it's hard to do. Um, exhibit courage. This is John's. Yeah. We see so many elder groups that e either don't have a courageous person in there or somehow the courage is, is uh, just dissolves. Now, what, is it, what does it mean, courage? Courage means acting in the midst of, of known difficulty, right? It's going to be hard, and you do it anyway. Bravery is in the moment, snap to me. Courage is, okay, I know I'm going to take a beating, but it's worth it, and I'm going to do it anyway, right? And it is absorbing some pain. Uh, there's a there's an adage that courage and fear are brothers, right? Because it, it you've got some fear, but you act anyway. You don't just wring your hands and worry and not act, but you you move through the hard stuff. And the thing that's hard with with elder groups, especially because our churches are led by groups, is the entire group has to say yes to an act, right? Typically, and so it takes a a, a group courage to move through which is why you need to spend time on the right things and not on the silly things of what color is the paint going to be and, and uh, should we, you know, do, do we buy a van or not? That's somebody else's job. You guys are, you know, spiritual leaders. You need to lead the church with, by getting a, a, some distance and then acting courageously. Lastly, well, lastly is um, live out the Gospels. Now, what do I mean by that? Don't we regularly do that? It could be live out or live in, live with, is that I remind churches, we're called the church of, help me, Christ. He's the center. He's the focus. So I tell church, and I suggest to churches, you're going to hear messages and uh, teaching regularly from me about Jesus. Stay in the gospel. Look at how he treated people. Look at what his ministry did. And, and, and let your ministry flow out of the identity of Christ and who Christ is and the ministry of Christ. Live in and out of the gospels. Live in and out of the gospels. Read the gospels. Make the gospels the gospel the gospels. And sometimes when I'm doing vision, I just say, we're going to develop the vision for this church out of what's going on in the community, what are the needs, what are, uh, what, and, and then what, how does that over, how the gospels speak into that? And we're going to live out and of and in through the Gospels. Does that make sense? So Jesus got distance, right? Pulled away to pray. Quite courageous. Obviously lived, lived his own story. So we could talk about, we could list more things, but if, if, if you are ready to adapt to what is necessary to move into the future, these three things are going to be exceedingly helpful. And they're way easier to write on a page than they are to do. I get it. But without courage, without the willingness to take a risk, then then you'll you'll keep you'll, the status quo will will stay, right? And without living out the gospels, you know the gospels are an adventure. I mean, think of what the apostles did by joining Jesus as the rabbi. I mean, they stayed with him. He had the words of life. They, he even gave him a chance to check out, and they said, "You have the words of life. We're staying with you." What a risk took courage. And, and if you don't get any distance and you stay down in the swamp, then it's going to be really hard for you 
to act uh, out appropriately what it is you, you need to do. So we can open it up to questions, right? Thoughts? Yeah. Questions? Questions, thoughts? Yes. How do you get your leadership to operate out of faith instead of fear? Mm -hmm. Because I feel like, I'm not going to throw my elders under the bus. I love my men. They've been elders for a long time, but I see so many men, they're so afraid if we make this decision, what's going to happen instead of this is the decision we need to make because this is where we need to go and they operate, I think, more out of fear yes. than out of faith. What's a practical thing to say to them? What's a, what's a practical thing to do? What's your role? Operate? What's your role? I'm, I'm an associate minister. Okay. I'm about to be the preaching minister in about a year and a half. I've been taught, um, so I'm, this is a bit of a reflexive move for, my, for me, but I've been taught whenever I hear, how do we get people to, that phrase, how do we get people to, then I turn to whoever says that and I say, what part are you playing to continue the thing you're complaining about? You have an action that you can take. So, so if you are acting courageously, which means you could get shot at by them, but if you know what the things are that should be going on, then you begin to do those things. I know, I know you're not the leader, and I know we've got leaders. I'm not saying push up against your elders and, and, and defy them or anything like that. But what are you doing to hold them in that, to help them stay where they are? It, it would be an interesting conversation, and I'd like to have it with you if you wanted to, because whoever is calm, connected, and taking a position is the leader. And, and so it takes courage to do all three things at the same time. Great courage. So that, that's how do we get them to? Because you can't change them. You can only change you. So what am I going to do to be helpful? That's, that's what I would say to that. Yeah, and one of the ways I could illustrate that is there's an old book, I think it's written in the 80s, called How to Talk So Children Will Listen, How to Listen So Children Will Talk. It's a great little simple book. My wife was a master at it and the key to it is you give language to what you're hearing and their, their feelings for example when you hear those phrases and you hear those concepts you can calmly say I are, are you afraid it, it sounds like I keep hearing this oh we're not afraid it's just we're concerned about well no I keep hearing fear talk to me about that and then I'm not afraid I'm not afraid. Yeah, I am ready to move, right? I believe our church needs. I am willing to. It's pers speak first person and but identifying feelings. You should you you it seems you sound very scared to me. I hear fear. I hear fear. So labeling a feeling, labeling a behavior, labeling it just seems like We've been in this meeting, we've had the same conversation over and over, and brothers, with all due respect, I am convinced we need to. We've been given we a step further. Go ahead. Um, I had a situation last year where a um, son, he's son of one of our members, he's in his 30s, uh, he was shot. Mm. Uh, it's gang related. Uh, our three elders did not want to have the funeral in our building. I said, that sounds like fear to me. And so I was preaching faith, not fear. So I was unsuccessful in persuading them mm. to have it there. We wound up having it at another church. No, I said, nothing's going to happen. I said, gang members respect churches. Funeral went great. 
but that was an example for me where I was not successful in Yeah, that made me successful, that's right. Yeah. But I did take the step that you just mentioned. Yes. So what happens next? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you, you keep that position, if that is your position. I believe we should have those funerals here. And and that doesn't mean you're gonna get your way. Yeah. But you begin a process of, of interaction that has them at least, if they're paying any attention at all, maybe I am fearful. Maybe I am wringing my hands a bit here. Now hopefully maybe this experience will say, you know, nothing did happen. Yeah. So maybe next time. The, the other book we'd recommend yes. would be A Failure of Nerve, Leadership in an Age of Quick Fix. Uh, that deals with all these processes we're talking about right here on staying calm, taking a position, staying connected to the people with whom you disagree and feel the anxiety. And I want to say, you know, women, women can do this too. Women can stay calm. Women can stay connected. Women can take a position. You, you have every uh, opportunity to lead in some form by doing those three things. Anybody in a system that's doing that is in some small form or large form leading. Doesn't mean you're pounding your fist to get your way. You're simply taking a position. I believe this about this situation. Go ahead. Yeah, I think when I'm talking with elders, I make sure I know exactly what I want them to do. Mm -hmm. And I have outlined it all already. Here's, here's what I want to do, and I'm willing to be in charge of it, or I have somebody else willing to be in charge of it, so that all they have to do is say yes. Mm -hmm. And most of them, when they're presented with a very good, clear plan and a reason for it, they'll say yes. There's no reason not to. And that's in the head. That's a head. You're, you're using reasoning, which works to a point when it becomes an emotional situation where they have to get past, you know, uh, the, the way their father did it and he would roll over in his grave if he knew we were doing it this way. That's an emotional response. And there are times when reason doesn't matter. So, so if you have reasonable men who can, great, super. And I, I would I wouldn't recommend doing it illogically, but right, but but it isn't always in the head. There are heart issues, right. and and you know my wife doesn't like doesn't want that. Um, my parents, I, I, you'd be surprised at how many churches are are hamstrung by dead people. <laughs> right, they are. We're not doing that because my dad would never have it. Or they're hamstrung by somebody who's still living, but in a, you know. 1,500 miles away. Because oh. when they come, they can't worship with us because of what we're doing here. Well, that's their choice. And it's your church. It's not theirs. Is this, I mean, has anybody ever had that? That's ridiculous. It's wrong. They're not there. Can you tell that matters to me? I mean, <laughs> it's just not right to be held hostage and we and, and 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 they're not the, it's not their fault it's mine that if I'm not acting on what I know needs to be done in my church because I've got some tie to my dad that, he, that I couldn't imagine doing it and he him seeing it that's just that's just silly are the other churches of Christ in the, the other churches of Christ yes well they won't they won't like us if we do that well that's their choice. That is their choice. My choice is I what? I see that as a positive. <laughs> well, it may have, yeah. yeah, what can we do to make them mad? Yeah. <laughs> let's see, what's going to make them mad? Well, let's do that. Yeah. Go ahead. So when you talk about... About a minute. Yeah. You've gone through these things, you made an adaptive change. 
I've come into contact with what we did. We made an adaptive change, in, but we're, we're still feeling the pain from that. We're sure. Going to another adaptive sure. How do you transition when, you, when you've gone through this 17, 10-year process and that's gone well, but there's still this, don't beat us over the head. You know, we, there's a pain tolerance that we have and you're, you're tested. Yeah, so uh, Charlie Slavert would call that uh, uh, transition deficit. If you've got too many changes going on at the same time, you're going to wear your people out. Yep. Uh, we can only manage change at a pace that we can grieve the loss of whatever that we lost when that change happened. Grieving takes time, right? So you've got to give time for the, for the grieving the loss. So rapid change is not healthy for a church, especially not for a church. But if you don't change at all, you're, you're probably going to die. So what I'm asking is then, like, what are, what are some things that you would ask to know where you're at? You could do a reflective practice on, on, on that experience when you're a little distant from it, like what went well? What needs to be different? What needs to be better? What, in other words, what we learn? We're, we're not very good at reflect. There is no learning without reflection. Yep. There, there is no learning without reflection. You've got to have to learn, learn, learn. And so where's the evidence that we have learned and what are we going to reflect on as we move? So what went well? What needs to be different? What needs, could be better? And what if is the imagination question. What if we adjusted this next time? What if it, rather than, oh, we're never going to do that again. We're, we're still talking about that. So if you initiate a reflection. You know, and taking the pulse of folks, you know, one person's changed is another person's yawn, right? So you just got to be careful about and mindful of, okay, how is the church doing? And, and that means being in the church. If the elder group doesn't know the church, then how will you know? You won't. I mean, a, a, a well-informed people are more easily led, continuing to talk with them and telling them what you're doing. Don't hide from them what your plans are. They're adults. Treat them like adults. And you'll have a lot better chance of making some adaptive changes if you're treating them like adults. Yeah. I think it's very challenging. I grew up in the 50s. I had no contact with those outside my church group. Yes. Yep. Today, we, Francis Chan, yes. you name it. Yes. And we don't know how to value our legacy at the same time we embrace mm. a larger community. It's like we're not distinct. We have no right to exist. And that's silly. It's the Holy Spirit that builds our community and makes us bond together. <clears throat> but we think it's we have to do certain patterns. And that's, we don't talk very openly about that. Yeah, no. it's, it's a form of grief. It really is. It we're, really just, is. we're out of time. We're out of time. I'll close with really honored that you would listen Very. to us on a Friday morning after being so tired and exhausted. <laughs> there is a card we shared yesterday. There's a few so of them. There. there are a few back there. There's a little QR code on it that will give you the report from Brother Tim Woodruff's report about the state of Churches of Christ and it's some documentation of that, some data that's real important uh, for us to move forward and reality is our friend. I remember... Um, I, I have a little prophetic edge to me and just calling it like it is. And for six weeks, I was frustrated. I preached hard in this church, you know. And one Sunday on the way to lunch, my wife said, Honey, could Barnabas show up next week? <laughs> You've got Barnabas in you. Can Barnabas show up? Because we're, I'm tired of hearing Jeremiah. You're wearing us. <laughs> so balance is the word. Yes. May the yes. Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. Thank you for your ministry in the kingdom of God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.